Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Six Packers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 22. Repeatedly, you've heard me make disparaging remarks about Pope Francis. I've said he's a heretic, that he's led the church into total confusion, and that he's doing all he can to fundamentally change the church and remake it into his own image and likeness. But I've readjusted my attitude and found another way to view this pontiff. I think you'll find it interesting, and I'll tell you about it in a moment. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts, and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I've been heavily criticized for my criticism to the Pope. Criticism doesn't bother me, and I stand firmly by everything I've said about Francis. Several saints in history, from St. Paul to St. Augustine to St. Catherine and others, have told us by word and example that we're obligated to defend the faith even against the Pope when he's wrong. So I most certainly stand by the things I've said. Francis has espoused heresies. He's tried to fundamentally change the church. He's led his priests, bishops, and the laity into complete and utter confusion. And it's that confusion I want to focus on for the purpose of this discussion. I was speaking with my priest the other day, and he's the sort of priest I'd walk through hell in gasoline pajamas for. We were talking about Francis and God's will. He helped me see where the craziness of Francis may not be as bad as I've thought. Let me carry you through our logic. God's holy will comes in two forms. First, there's his active will. If I were suddenly healed and my broken body were suddenly made whole again, 
or if someone came and gave me a thousand dollars for this apostolate, that'd be an example of God's active will. In other words, his active will is always good. But now let's talk about his passive will. If you're a Catholic, you believe that God's absolutely in charge and that nothing happens by coincidence. But what about bad things that happen to good people in life? Tornadoes, floods, abortions, murders, rape, and other mayhem. If God's in charge of everything, and if he's all good and not capable of evil, and there's no such thing as coincidences, why do bad things happen? First of all, God will always draw greater good from any evil. We might not see it immediately or even within our lifetime, but you can be sure that he'll draw greater good. Also, he respects our free will, thus allowing us to make our own bad decisions, even if those decisions hurt good people. Regarding natural disasters, St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that things like floods and tornadoes and forest fires and volcanoes are controlled by the preternatural forces, so those evils come from pure evil, from demons. God's permissive will, then, allows these evil things to happen rather than actively causing them to happen. Whether things happen from his active will or his permissive will, God's plan is always right on target and will eventually be accomplished. Let's take an example from Scripture. Abraham was a special friend of God. He was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob, whose name was changed later on to Israel. It's with Israel that our salvation history begins to become very interesting. Israel had 12 sons. The youngest one was Joseph. Israel loved Joseph best, so the eleven older brothers hated him because they were jealous of him. One day the older brothers were tending their father's flock when they began talking about their little brother Joseph. They hatched a plan to murder Joseph and tell their father a wild beast had killed him. But one of the brothers didn't like the idea of murdering Joseph, so he convinced his brothers to simply throw him into a cistern and leave him. The brothers carried out their plan. They did indeed toss him into a cistern to leave him. It just so happened that some Midianite traders came along, and the brothers decided to sell Joseph to them. The Midianites in turn took Joseph into Egypt. So here's Joseph working as a slave in the household of one of Pharaoh's highly placed officials. Apparently Joseph was blessed by God and was successful at everything he did for his new owner. So the master grew to really like and trust Joseph, and he put Joseph in charge of everything he owned. One blessing God gave Joseph that turned out to be a bad thing was that he was handsome and desirable to women. The wife of the master tried one day to get Joseph into bed. He refused, saying it'd be a crime against God and his master, which he was absolutely right. She didn't give up, though. Every single day she tried to get Joseph into bed. One day, while no one was home except his master's wife, she tried again to get Joseph into bed, but more aggressively than ever before. She grabbed him by his outer garment and demanded that he sleep with her. This apparently shook Joseph up to the point that he fled and left her there holding his garment. Well, as the adage goes, hell has no fury like a woman scorned. With Joseph's cloak in her hand, she told her husband that Joseph tried to rape her. The master had Joseph put into prison. To make a long story short, through a series of events, Joseph was eventually placed in charge of the prison by the head jailer. I guess we would call him a warden today. 
With God's blessings, he came to the attention of Pharaoh and eventually ran everything in Egypt for him. Because of another series of events, Joseph was eventually reunited to his father Israel and his brothers. They all lived in Egypt where the Israelites multiplied and were eventually enslaved by the Egyptians. But that's another story. Here's the point. At least eight evil things happened to Joseph. First, Joseph was the object of his brother's hatred. Next, because of that hatred, his brothers plotted to murder him, and they planned to lie to Israel about what happened to him. Rather than murder him, they still committed an act of violence against Joseph by tossing him into a cistern to leave him there to die. As it turned out, the next evil thing done to Joseph was that his brothers sold him into slavery. Under Joseph's new living arrangements, he was tempted by an immoral woman to purity, and tempting someone to sin is always an evil. But because Joseph wouldn't play along, he was falsely accused of attempted rape and thrown into prison. God didn't actively will these things to happen to Joseph. He allowed them to happen. Then he brought a much greater good from them with his active will. God had a plan, and he allowed the bad things to happen to Joseph in order to carry out his plan with much greater good things down the road. The same holds true in the pontificate of Pope Francis. God hasn't actively willed that Francis espouse heresies. He hasn't actively willed that the Pope confuse everyone. And he most certainly hasn't actively willed that Francis attempt to fundamentally change the Catholic Church. But God has a plan. I know because I've read the book and already know how it ends. You can read it too. It's called the Bible. So God's permitted these evils to take place so he can eventually bring his plan to fruition. You're no doubt wondering by now what that plan is. In order to explain it to you, I need to give you a little background first. Catholics don't like hearing this, but at least 95% of us are completely or almost completely ignorant of the things the Catholic Church teaches. The Archdiocese of St. Louis is called the Rome of the West because of its extraordinary Catholic presence. I've lived in the Archdiocese of St. Louis for about five years. In all that time, I can count on one hand the number of lay people who can answer the most basic questions about Catholicism. When I say basic, I mean basic. I haven't found more than five people who can tell me how many sacraments there are, much less name them. No one can tell me anything about the Mass except that it uses bread and wine and that it's a ritual. Why is that? Prior to Vatican II, Catholics knew and understood the faith. But that all changed after the Council. Vatican II isn't to blame, though, because the work of the Council is beautiful and holy. The problem is what happened after the Council. The heresy of modernism was condemned by Pope St. Pius X in 1907, effectively ridding the Catholic Church of it. But the modernists never really went away. Instead, they scurried under whatever the nearest rock was they could find, waiting for the day when they could rise up and wreak havoc on the universal church. Their opportunity came 58 years later when Pope St. John XXIII convoked the Second Vatican Council in 1962. Vatican II has become a very controversial council over the last 56 years. Depending on who you talk to, either Vatican II was the worst evil ever unleashed on the church by hell or the greatest thing since sliced bread and everything in between. The truth of it all is much different than most folks' opinion. The first thing to understand is that no matter how you feel about Vatican II, it's the most recent of the church's valid 21 ecumenical councils. 
Say or think whatever you want, but Vatican II is valid, legitimate, and an example of the world hearing what Jesus says to mankind. But that doesn't mean a lot of bad things haven't happened since Vatican II, with traitors of Jesus using the cover of the council to attempt to destroy the church from within. It's been my experience that those who claim the council was ripe with heresy, along with those who abuse or misapply Vatican II's teachings, haven't ever actually read the documents it produced. In my opinion, every practicing Catholic has a duty to read the 16 documents produced by the Council Fathers. Not to read them for yourself is tantamount to asking a fox guard the henhouse. You'll be left to the mercy of every false and lying teacher who comes along on both sides of the issue. By reading the 16 documents of Vatican II, you'll discover that many of the things you've been told were taught by Vatican II actually weren't. In fact, a thorough reading of the 16 documents produced by the Council Fathers is likely to leave you indignant, maybe even angry, over the way neo-modernists have attempted, and sometimes succeeded, to destroy the Church from within. Not only are these documents revealing about the true nature of the Church and what she really teaches, but they're absolutely beautiful in their content. As an adult convert to Catholicism, I fell hopelessly in love with the Catholic Church as a catechumen. But after reading the documents of Vatican II, I helplessly, hopelessly, passionately fell in love with Jesus' one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That's not hyperbole. The neo-modernists somehow managed to infiltrate the bishop's vocation offices and all of Catholic academia in the 70s and 80s, especially the seminaries. Thousands of men who had vocations to the priesthood never got to fulfill their vocations because Sister So-and-So or Dr. Dimwit in the vocations office told them they didn't have a vocation. Many of these good men never even got an opportunity to speak with the bishop, and many of those who did found that the bishop merely rubber-stamped the opinions of the subordinates who worked for him in the vocations office, no matter how impressed with the candidate he may have been. With the neo-modernists basically in charge of the seminaries, seminarians were given watered-down or outright heretical theology. When you couple that with the fact that homiletics in most seminaries is pretty weak anyway, you end up with what we see so prevalent in our parishes today, really weak homilies. Most priests have been taught to give milquetoast homilies that are designed to avoid offending people. The greatest casualty in this, of course, is truth itself. I'm sorry, but the truth, by its very nature, offends people. Jesus offended everyone in the prevalent culture of his time by pointing out what they were doing to offend his father. The end result of not being willing to offend with truth today is the average parishioner is completely ignorant of the faith. An astonishing 6.5 people leave the church for everyone who comes in and the vast majority of those who left for fundamentalist sects claim they did so because the preacher wasn't afraid to call sin by its name. Of course, weak to non-existent homiletics led to what I call nice Catholicism. The nice Catholicism mindset says you have to avoid offending people or placing any sort of burden on them at any cost, and your Christian love has to be of the syrupy sweet variety. The nice Catholicism proponents justify themselves by telling us we have to imitate Jesus. The implication is that this is the way Jesus was while he was on earth. That's baloney. To be perfectly honest, there wasn't anything nice about Jesus. I know that sounds bad to most listeners, but it's true. 
Jesus loved everybody, but loving them meant telling them the truth, and telling them the truth necessitated not being nice on a regular basis. Truth isn't nice, especially when you don't want to hear it. In fact, it can really be quite brutal. Think about it. He called men liars, broods of vipers, hypocrites, white-painted sepulchers full of dead men's bones, told us he would vomit us from his mouth for being lukewarm, and drove men from the temple with a whip. Does that sound nice to you? Of course not. Admittedly, when I first became a Catholic, I had a hard time squaring Jesus' behavior and words with how we're generally taught about him, but something eventually occurred to me. One of the spiritual works of mercy is to admonish the sinner. We all shy away from that one because the very nature of that work of mercy is to offend people. Most folks become angry or indignant when corrected, especially on the so-called untouchable moral issues. But Jesus didn't shy away from it. Motivated purely by love, Jesus told people the truth without fear and by not making it sweet and nice. Truth and nice don't live on the same block. Another effect of this namby-pamby softening of the truths of our holy and ancient faith is watered-down catechesis and all that goes along with it. In 2015, I received a letter from Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke. Here's what he wrote. A gravely defective catechesis which marked the life of the church in the years following the Second Vatican Ecumenical Council, though not because of the council, contributed to the loss of faith, the lack of a devotional life, and left subsequent generations devoid of a concrete way to know the Catholic faith and live it. This prince of the church sees exactly what's happened over the last 50 years. The nice Catholicism mentality foisted on us by the neo-modernists has caused catechesis to go almost completely down the toilet. We've gone from teaching about Jesus the incarnate word of God to teaching about Jesus the warm fuzzy. And you can believe this. If we treat Jesus as a warm fuzzy, then we certainly do a grave disservice to the church he founded as the sacrament for our salvation. How bad is it? Well, with very little exception, there's nothing I teach today that any sixth-grade Catholic schoolchild didn't know 70 years ago. I became a member of the Knights of Columbus a few years ago. I didn't know it until I got there, but when you're elevated to the third degree, you're tested on your proficiency and knowledge of the faith. Truth be known, I was a little worried that I'd be embarrassed when some of them showed a greater proficiency for the faith than me. I was embarrassed, all right. I was embarrassed for the other men there. With the exception of two men, not a single man could answer any question about the faith asked of him. Despite that knights are supposed to pray at least one rosary a week, several of them couldn't even tell us what the mysteries of the rosary are. All this demonstrates the reasons why the church is in trouble. Did you know that one out of every ten Americans is an ex-Catholic, and if they were a separate denomination, they'd be the third largest denomination in this country after Catholics and Baptists? One of three people who were raised Catholic no longer identifies as Catholic. 50% of young people who were raised Catholic are no longer Catholic. 79% of former Catholics leave the church before age 23. Catholicism is losing members faster than any denomination. And 70% of Catholics in the pew no longer believe in the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Statistics like these aren't a statement on our society or the prevailing culture. They're a statement on how we've been betrayed and lied to for decades. 
we deserve better than what we've been given. Is it any wonder people are leaving the church in droves? It doesn't have to be this way. As a lay evangelist of 30 years, it's been my experience that people are hungry for the truth. No, that's not quite right. People are starving for the truth. They actually want to be told the difference between right and wrong. They don't just want a list of do's and don'ts either. They want to be told something is right or wrong, and they want to be told why something is right or wrong. There isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be adequately demonstrated to anyone. Everything can be demonstrated. The Church can explain the Immaculate Conception and Purgatory, why homosexuality, abortion, and contraception are wrong, and prove the reality of the Holy Eucharist. The Church can tell us how we can know God exists, that Scripture is the inspired Word of God, that Jesus established the Catholic Church and passed on to it His own authority and mission. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when what they need and want is meat. So back to Francis and the way to view his pontificate. His heresies are evil. His attempts to change the church are evil. The confusion he's caused is evil. But these evils Francis has committed have actually caused something wonderful to happen. Catholics can be divided into two groups, those who care about the faith and those who don't. There's nothing we can do about those who don't care except for pray for God's mercy on them. But those who do care about our faith are waking up. The confusion Francis has caused has made caring Catholics want to better know and understand the faith. So while we're decreasing in number, apathy is beginning to disappear, and the quality of practicing Catholics is again becoming stellar. You six-packers are in that group. You're listening because you care. You're the cream of the crop. The reach of the cantankerous Catholic is growing every week in terms of new listeners because you're telling your friends and family to listen. But now you need to take it to the next level. Obviously, your first goal is to become really proficient in your knowledge of the faith. After all, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is God and what he wants from you and in your life. So I've got a few suggestions for you. First, you need to go to joesixpackanswers.com and sign up for the free email course. You'll begin getting invitations to the free weekly webinars I host where you can ask me questions in real time. Second, get a copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith. A link is in the show notes for this episode. Third, get a subscription to the Wanderer newspaper to stay abreast of everything going on in the church. This newspaper is the one I trust the most, so I recommend it to all Catholics who care about the church. That would be you six-packers. There's a link to subscribe in my show notes. By the way, I don't get any sort of commission from this. Fourth, go to the podcast website to tell me what you want to learn more about. Ask questions, give your opinion, or just sound off. Fifth, tell your pastor about my What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin insert program. All the details are at the bottom of my show notes. Finally, every time you get an email telling you a new episode's been published, forward that email to people you think need to listen to the Cantankerous Catholic. Let's build an army of six-packers. Together, we can really have an impact on the church and on the world. Can you see yourself making converts? Very few books have ever been written to teach the mechanics of practical Catholic evangelization, something all Catholics are obliged to do. 
Of the books available, none teach you a step-by-step -step method for actually cultivating an inquirer, then taking that inquirer all the way to the baptismal font. Until now, nobody is more qualified to teach Catholic evangelization than Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Joe Sixpack has made hundreds of converts since 1988 in small group and one-on-one -on -one venues, and 84 of them are his adult godchildren. Consequently, Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, is a virtual treasure trove of how-to resources for evangelization. In the Lay Evangelist's Handbook, Joe Sixpack will show you how to become one of God's rock stars of evangelization, what the two primary obligations are for all Catholics that most people don't know how to begin the journey to becoming a saint, the actual mechanics of productive evangelization, the dangers of nice Catholicism, how to hear God laugh, what to do step-by-step step to win over a convert, and much, much more. Get your copy of the Lay Evangelist's Handbook by Joe Sixpack, The Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. The e-commerce company Etsy.com is known for the sale of cute crafts. Unfortunately, it also permits sale of the sacred. On May 7, Catholics on social media were alerted to an Etsy listing offering what the vendor claimed to be real Catholic hosts consecrated by a priest. The seller, calling himself Al, and his business, Pentagora, stated that the purpose of the nine hosts was to abuse for the classic black friars or black magic purposes. The hosts, he said, were made and consecrated in Germany, and the listing indicated that they would be shipped from Germany. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to the blaze. Freshman Representative Rashid Tlaib, the Democrat from Michigan, admitted in a recent interview that she experiences a calming feeling whenever she thinks about the Holocaust because her Palestinian ancestors helped create a safe haven for Jews. However, Tlaib claimed in the same interview the role was forced on her ancestors in a way that took their human dignity away. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to Carrie Pickett. The FBI uncovered a homegrown terror training camp in Alabama owned by a group of terrorists headed up by the son of an imam who once caused a stir in 2012 at the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 2 Hats off to the blaze. Police raided the Catholic Diocese of Dallas headquarters searching for evidence after church officials thwarted the investigations into alleged child sexual abuse by priests, according to the Associated Press. Authorities also searched a storage facility and the church offices at St. Cecilia Catholic Church, Dallas Police Major Max Gurren told reporters. 
We believe at this point that the execution of the search warrants was wholly appropriate for the furtherance of the investigation at this point, Gurren said during a news conference. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 1 Hats off to LifeSite News. Cardinal Raymond Burke said that patriotism is required by natural law and that God, in accord with the order written upon the human heart, does not make just and legitimate a single global government, contrary to Francis' statements. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A man who deserved his employer for many years was at the point of death. The employer loved his dying employee and came to visit him in the hospital. He asked the dying man if there was anything he could do for him. I'd like to repay you in some way, he said. Ask whatever you wish and I'll do everything in my power to grant your request. The sick man answered, Sir, nothing would mean more to me than if you could prolong my life by just one day. I can't do that for you. You know that's not in my power. Is there anything else I can do for you? The dying man replied, I've served you for 40 years and you can't give me one more day of life? How I wish I'd been half so faithful serving God. He's my true master. And yet I was lazy in my service to him who can give me eternal happiness. What a fool I've been. He died with a deep feeling that he'd wasted his entire life. How much time do you give to service to God when compared with the time you devote to yourself and the world? Jesus once said, What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his own soul? Never be negligent and indifferent about your duties toward God. He can give you an eternal reward, but the pleasures, honors, and riches of this world will pass away. Hey, Six Packers, that's all for this episode. I've enjoyed having you with me. Don't forget to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. The links are in my show notes. Also, remember to visit joesixpackanswers.com to sign up for my free email course. Each short lesson arrives in your inbox every three days. We also have the Cantankerous Catholic Social Media Group you can join to discuss anything about Catholicism, our country, or anything else on your mind. I visit the page every day. The link's also in my show notes. There are lots of other neat things of interest in my show notes, too. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. And remember to live by the Joe Sixpack battle cry. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.